What do CEOs need to know about sales these days? A lot. Outdated sales strategies and tactics plague most companies today. Listen to what innovative CEOs and experts have to say about how to change all that with Sales Talk for CEOs. I know all of you have had an experience with some sort of practitioner, uh, a type of doctor, maybe a physical therapist uh, or any kind of therapist. And through COVID, a lot of us got very familiar with having conversations and communication via digital methods. So we might have had a Zoom call with our practitioner, our doctor, instead of going into their office. Um, and we may have some secure sites where they post things for us, give us instructions and communicate. Well, today I have a guest who built an amazing platform for communication and education so that patients can get the right information at the right time from their practitioners. So I want to welcome Bronwyn Spira from Force Therapeutics. Thanks for being on the show today. Thanks, Alice. So good to be here. So tell us a little bit more about what your company does. So we are a comprehensive digital care management platform that enables patients to speed their recovery to better outcomes using the information and communication that comes directly from their, their own treating provider. So their doctor, their surgeon, their physical therapist. Um, and it's an exchange of information, education, videos, um, and, and really it's all about that patient experience, a rich patient experience that enables patients to get good health outcomes. Now, a lot of people think, Bronwyn, that digital communication between doctors and patients and other providers happened during COVID, but you have been in business for 12 years. So tell us about how this started. How did you get the idea to do this and, and how did it all start? So before I started the company Force, um, I was actually a physical therapist and um, I was running and managing an outpatient orthopedic and sports medicine practice here in New York City. Um, and, you know, a lot of my own patients were A, struggling with rehab and recovery and understanding what they needed to do when, how. Um, you know, when they were out of my purview, out of, outside of the clinic. And two, um, all of my patients started to do dating and banking and travel booking online. And, would, you know, they started coming to me and showing me this YouTube video. And is this the kind of exercise you want me doing at home? So those things kind of came together for me in a way that said, the time is here. And we have this ubiquity in technology where everybody had a smartphone in their pocket that I could actually create this digital connection with my own patients and help them solve a lot of the challenges they were facing. So that was kind of the, the kernel of the idea that started Force. Um, but, you know, 12 years later, it's a very sophisticated, robust, comprehensive platform, you know, that's deployed in... Uh, almost 80 hospitals around the country. We've treated over 600,000 patients on the platform. So, you know, we've, we've come a long way since those days. 
Wow. So you, like many founders, had a problem that you were trying to solve and you started to, to solve it. You're like, wow, everybody else is doing digital things for dating and banking and other purposes. Why not for, you know, practitioners to help their patients also? So you, you decided, okay, we're going to do this. So you started building it. And of course, it's transformed greatly over the many years. But you're a physical therapist. So how, how did you get this to happen? And then how did you sell it with no sales experience at all? Well, I think I, you know, I had a different type of sales experience um, when I started um, my own private practice. I really had to be in a sales role. You know, I was um, selling our brand, selling our services to uh, primary care physicians, surgeons um, that were going to refer patients to me. And so that was, in a sense, sales, not technology sales, but you know, really figuring out how to create that um, relationship, that trusted relationship where um, people would entrust me with their their patients um, and know that I was going to, you know, do the right thing. So, so that was kind of my first foray, I'd say, into sales. Um, but you're right, when we started the company 12 years ago, it, it was it was different because it was we were almost creating the space, right? There wasn't there wasn't really digital patient engagement as a group of technologies available for people to buy. So it was very evangelical sale and we were creating a market and we what we did in the beginning was really um, reach out to and have conversations with thought leaders and innovative systems um, around the country. And they they immediately understood the concept of it, even though this didn't exist yet. Yeah. Um, so there was a lot of education. There was a lot of vision selling um, and really kind of bringing people to the technology age because, you know, healthcare traditionally uh, lags way behind other industries, especially in technology. So, um, so it was really finding those thought leaders, those innovative yeah. leaders um, that would would grab on, grab hold of the concept, and and run with it. And how did they help you? Um, you know, once they got it right, were they able to spread the word and and introduce you to people? How did that help you actually start selling? So a couple of ways. One is um, once we established those relationships, we immediately understood that in healthcare, we needed scientific evidence of this kind of a new platform working. So we, from the very beginning, we established a data collection research engine underneath the platform so that we could map and measure all the interactions, all the results, all the outcomes that we were getting um, from these initial customers. Um, and because we actually had a product in market, you know, we we were never going to sell vaporware. We had an alpha beta product, I would say, that actually worked. Um, and so we were able to actually create a... Um, 
a system whereby we could interface with patients, interface with providers, collect all that data and actually show um, real world evidence yeah. that this was working. Um, so, so that was really important for us in the beginning stages. And because our you know, early adopters were also innovators in the space, they were the ones who were preaching the future of healthcare at conferences and to their buddies that they did a fellowship with and writing papers about it. So so that was really very helpful in the in the early stages of the company. Yeah. And at that time were you the one who was you were obviously interfacing with all these thought leaders and learning and growing together with them. But then when it came to, hey, you know, we actually want to close the deal. We want to get them to purchase, right? Were you doing that part also? Yeah, so um, my co-founder is actually a, a XPE business person. Um, and, and so the two of us kind of have always sold in tandem. So I would do the clinical, the vision, the, you know, paint the picture of what this could look like. Um, and he would come in and do the deal points, deal desk, negotiation. Um, and so there was a lot of good back and forth tag teaming. Um, and, you know, we each had a specific skill set that I think worked really well together. So it's a really great way to start out and you were able to capture the people who cared and wanted to make an impact and make a difference. And they were, because of that, willing to let you do these case studies and collect all this data and use that, right, um, to help you maybe with some companies who didn't know as much or weren't the early adopters and weren't the innovators because, of course, you had to move that direction. So as you started to grow and move into uh, some other types of uh, medical situations that weren't maybe early adopters. Did you decide to grow a sales team or did you continue? How did, how did that work? So we've tried um, a number of different models with sales. Um, and, you know, what we've come back to is kind of coming back to our roots. Um, and we really feel like the founder-led sale um, is, is what works for us as a company. Now, this may not be for everybody, but bear in mind, we're selling to the enterprise healthcare. It's a complex sale. It's an enterprise sale. So, um, so C-suite level decisions are being made. And so a lot of times in those sales conversations, um, you know, credibility is key, being able to paint a vision and speak about, you know, the clinical aspects of and the future of care. Um, so we've kind of come back around to that. But, you know, we have, um, you know, we have sales executives, account executives that support our journey, um, whereas we're kind of frontline sellers, myself and my co-founder are often on the front lines, but then we have an AE um, who's kind of leading the next stages of the sales process. So that's kind of the combination. This is where we've come to, um, you know, what we see as a successful model for us. Yeah, I think that is a highly successful model, especially for the type of business that you do. But what were some of the challenges that led you back there? Did you have a time when you thought, okay, listen, I could probably just stop selling or get some salespeople in here and let them do it? Yeah, it's it's never that easy. And I think <laughs> <laughs> one, of the, 
we've certainly learned a lot and we've tried um, a number of different models. We've had uh, clinicians doing sales, which is great from the clinical perspective, but it's hard to bring in that kind of salesperson DNA. We've had pure salespeople doing, you know, trying to lead sales, but without that kind of clinical um, understanding or, you know, deep um, experience inside of hospital systems. Um, that was challenging too, and a lot to teach. Um, so, you know, we've tried a lot of different things and um, we, we, we just keep coming back to what works and what resonates. And um, so it's just been a journey, but it's come full circle. I think the other big learning for us in terms of the sales journey is um, establishing strong marketing. Um, and in the beginning, we did not do that. We did not have a strong marketing team. Um, but I think that that is really a key factor in creating a, a repeatable and successful sales model. Um, and so really understanding what that looks like for an enterprise, for a vertical, um, and having folks that, that truly understand marketing has been just an incredible accelerator for us in sales. Yeah, because it's a door opener. People have heard of you. When they do find you on the internet, the marketing helps them understand who you are, what you do, why you do it, right? And when we don't have that piece, it's really hard because people find us and they're like, I don't understand what they do. And they bounce off, right? And that may have been what was happening earlier on for you. Correct. And even before that, even higher up the funnel, right? Like getting people to find us on the internet. Um, <laughs> and then it comes back to creating this space and creating this market because a lot of times people don't necessarily know exactly what they're looking for or what it's called. <laughs> um, so understanding that by a journey from, you know, ideation, you know, what's in their mind, what is it that they're trying to solve and what do they call that thing? Um, so that's where our marketing team has been incredibly helpful um, and kind of, you know, A-B testing things and really understanding, you know, how to put ourselves out there, how to build our brand, you know, keywords, what keywords to use. So there's multiple aspects, obviously, of marketing, but I think that's really um, is such an important um, piece of the puzzle, especially if you are leaning on founder-led sales and you need to scale your pipeline growth. Yeah. Well, I think that um, marketing is absolutely key and many companies are missing the mark there. They're not making it easy for the customer to find them, right? That customer journey, most people today, when they start to look for something they need, the first thing they do is ask the people around them that they know, right? And then the next thing they do is Google, or sometimes they start with Google and then ask the people they know, but they do those two things first. And if the words they use to describe what you do, right, don't pop up the right thing, we're lost. So yeah. I think that front-end marketing is so critical. And then the way you position yourself in the marketplace, and especially with you having been a practitioner as the founder, right? It makes a difference. People want to know that story. They want to hear that story. And they want to know that you're accessible. And I think that's why the model that you've landed on now after 12 years, you know, you started with it, you went back to it. 
is a model that I'm seeing more and more for these mid-sized companies. So the expert, the founder, and maybe there are some other experts too that help with this, they can go out and actually talk about it. Talk about why it's different, the thought leadership around it, how it's going to work, what the case studies are. They're really the subject matter expert. And then having sellers or customer success people or whatever you want to call them who come in and, and really follow the buyer journey and make sure the buyer in the end gets what they need and want and then gets onboarded properly and then stays with them, right, through them being a loyal customer and, and it continues. So uh, I think that is a, a great way. But my question for you about that is, how do you find the right kind of seller? So earlier you mentioned, well, we tried having clinicians, you know, sell, but they didn't really know much about sales. But then we tried having salespeople who didn't have the clinical background and that didn't work either. We need some combination of that. Now, as you've grown and you've found the right account executives to follow up after you, you know, make the entree, what kinds of sellers did you hire? What, what is their expertise? How did you find them? So I think it's less about expertise, although some knowledge of healthcare for us is important, but I think it's, it's a lot more around, you know, um, personality traits. Um, and so I am always looking for hungry, walk through walls, <laughs> uh, don't take no for an answer kind of people um, that also have um, a curiosity about why is it that these people are not answering my calls? Why is it that that message didn't resonate so that they can kind of be iterative around their communication. Um, and so I think it's that combination of real, you know, hungry, um, driven um, salespeople, and then that ability to continue to learn and grow. I call it growth mindset, um, you know, and it's kind of humility and curiosity uh, wrapped into yeah. one because you know, it's not a static process. It's not like we're selling the same thing over and over again to the same persona. Um, we have multiple personas that we have to um, sell to. And so having somebody who can actually think through that, be thoughtful, but still be, you know, kind of driven. I think that's kind of what's been successful for us. Yeah, it's good that you can put some words around that. I think one of the problems that we see frequently, and I know the CEOs listening will agree, is that we don't really know what kind of salesperson we're looking for. And so we build a job description that sort of, you know, it tells some things that the person needs to do, but it doesn't really describe what type of person we're looking for. You said some really important things. They're driven. They don't give up. They'll, you know, they'll knock down the doors again because they know there's a need and they know they can help, not just to be, you know, rugged about it, right? There's a reason for it. It's like, we know you need this. And so we're going to be persistent. But they have that balance of that curiosity and the continuous learning that allows them to continue to shape their approach to each buyer so that the buyer has the opportunity to respond. And I think that many salespeople that we hire 
don't have that right combination, it might be a different combination for another company. That's the right combination for your company. But it's important to figure out what that combination is and find the salespeople that fit that uh, so that we can focus on the customer and what they need. It's like, oh, if somebody's not answering, answering you, there's probably a reason. Either they're really busy or something personal happened that took them away from their job or the message that you're sending is not resounding with them. It's not piquing their curiosity. It's not driving them to want to have a conversation. So we have to have this persistence and this curiosity and, and this learning. And so I think that's, that's amazing. Does your company have a way that you interview for those qualities? Like, how do you know who, you know, are you involved in that as the CEO hiring these salespeople? And how do you know when they're the right one? You know, you never know 100%, but I think after doing it for a number of years, I do get involved in every single hire. It's not just me. We have a process. Obviously, um, HR is involved, some of the existing sellers, we have them vet. But, you know, I vet every single um, applicant to our company from product, engineering, sales, client success. They all meet me. Um, and the reason that I think that's very important is this is a very mission-driven company. So people come to work here because they understand and they care about what people are getting from our platform. Um, and I don't care who you are, if you've had a mother or a cousin or a spouse who's suffered from some kind of pain or injury, um, you know, you probably care about what we're doing. Um, and so that's kind of the basis of how do you get those people coming into the organization to care about it? Um, and that's, that's the mission. Um, and so everybody that we employ feels that mission and understands it and knows why they are doing what they do on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so that's a big piece of it. And so that's, you know, that's just kind of the qualitative piece. Yeah. Um, and then there are quantitative um, tools that you can use, and I'm sure you're very well aware, probably more than I am, um, where you can actually test for sales aptitude and who's suited to a sales role versus more of a, a customer support role, for example. Those are different, um, th those are different kind of personality tra traits. Um, and so there are tools that can test for that. And we do use those for our frontline sellers. So it's a combination of things, I think. But I do know that it it's like you said, it's really hard to know 100 percent for sure. But there are some things that you can look for. And in your interviewing process to ask, you know, people about their experiences with healing with their or family members that who have healed or had pain and those kinds of things in here what their experiences were, if they have empathy for that, and if they believe there can be a better way, right? So, so I love that. And then of course, you know, always finding out whether they can and will sell, right? Because that's an important piece. Um, what's really great though, is that as you bring them in and train them, right, in your, into your company, you have that lead generation piece down because you have as you mentioned, the marketing that's really helping you and yourself and the others who are clinicians and who do understand and know the work, who can draw people 
you know, to them so that they don't have as difficult as, of a time breaking in to the companies they want to work with. Right now, as you know, in, in the market, especially with a lot of technologies, there's still a lot of cold outreach going on and it is working less and less and less. It doesn't matter whether it's email or LinkedIn or phone. It's just really hard to do cold outreach. And I think this is why many founders have done what you have and gone back to this founder-led sale where they are the thought leaders, they're speaking, they're on podcasts, they're at trade shows, uh, they're accessible to the people and they become the lead generator. Yeah, I think it's very noisy out there. I mean, I'm sure you, in your personal experience, have so many you know, spam callers or, you know, cold callers and cold emails coming in. Um, and I think for, for us, a lot of it has been about relationship building over the years. And so, you know, even folks that I may have been speaking to 10 years ago, it wasn't the right time. There wasn't a line item in their budget. will always answer a call or an email from me because they know me, they know who I am. I've met them. Um, and so those relationships are super important and the trust that you can establish over years, I think is very important. And then the other piece of it is referrals. And so, you know, executing against the promise will get you those personal referrals from somebody who's using your platform, speaks to a friend at a conference and is like, you know, you have to try this out if you haven't done anything like this yet and, and I'll get that call. So so I think that's, again, where these, you know, long-term trusted relationships are important and, you know, really can drive not only pipeline, but also the, the process. You know, you start, you know, instead of going from zero to 100, you're starting at 100, which is, which is very helpful. Yeah, it's amazing to me. And, you know, I understand it to some degree, but everybody wants sales to be quick, right? <laughs> they want to hurry up and get some deals, right? It's just so true. And especially when we have investors involved and, and I get it, you know, and that's important. And it is important to have some early quick wins. But in a, in a truly uh, complex sale that is mission driven the way yours is, it's a long game. Like you said, developing those relationships over the years. Maybe they didn't have a budget back then. Maybe they you know, weren't in a position to really take full advantage yet, but you nurture those relationships over the years and then eventually they are ready or they're referring other people to you. And then when they do buy and you've made them so successful, right? We, we always, people talk about, oh, you know, we have thousands of clients but you have thousands of successful clients because that's so much more important, right? To have successful mm -hmm. clients. And what you're doing at your company is saying, okay, we're going to nurture our relationship with you. When you're ready, we're going to make sure you are highly successful using our product. Why? Because it's good for you. It's good for your patients. And it's good for us too, because then you go and tell people, hey, have you seen this? Are you using it? You should be using it. And that feeds your pipeline continuously when you have those kind of referrals. And everybody wants those, but they don't work hard enough to get them like you do. So I think that's interesting. Do you know what percent of your business offhand or can you kind of gut feel comes from people referring others to you? Would you say it's a large percent? 
again, this would be a very gut feel, but I think it's between 40 and 50% right now. Um, and I think the other piece of that, well, there's two other pieces. One is longevity. So, you know, a lot of tech companies come and go um, and, you know, we, we, we kind of have a longer track record and that's good because it means we're not going away and you can rely on us, but also we have all of the data that you can, you know, see and feel and people you can reference. Um, but the other piece, I think, and, and this is in my mind, an incredibly important part of sales, although not traditional sales, is client success. Um, and so that in my mind, and of course, and so we have a land and expand model. So we typically will take on a small piece of business and grow it. And so that expansion sales is often a huge part of our ARR um, because we have these incredible client success managers who are, you know, literally hand-to-hand -hand combat with our clients, optimizing the platform, understanding their problems, you know, tweaking things so that they are more successful. And that's really sales too. Um, you know, obviously not as long of a sales cycle and different hurdles to come over, but the execution of um, the platform um, and establishing that ongoing trust and success with clients is a huge selling point for us as well. And that's where I think we're lucky because we have a lot of referenceability. Even if we have a new client who doesn't know much about us, they're always going to want to speak to an existing client. And so that's a really important piece, I think, of that kind of trust, referenceability, and then creating that, um, you know, momentum with a sale. That is a real sign of a stable and sustainable company when you have references, referenceable, that's a hard word to say, referenceable customers, right? They will speak on your behalf. They really do the selling for you. They're saying, this is how it worked. This is how we were treated. This is what happened. This is what's happening now. And they can walk uh, your prospects through that it makes such a huge difference. And then it makes everything else easier for the buying process to go on. Yeah. I mean, sometimes I'll sit on calls with one of our clients and they'll sell better than I sell, you know, because they'll speak about, this is what this has done for me, for my practice, for my patients. Um, and hearing that from somebody who's, you know, in the trenches doing the hard work and, um, seeing the results, that's, you know, that's gold. Must be very gratifying for you to hear the success of your customers. It really is. And, you know, as a clinician, my DNA or my inner workings are always stimulated by patients and patients getting better and patients doing well. And so, um, you know, being able to to see that at scale, um, you know, and and getting you know those um, feedback reports from our patients, especially during COVID, by the way, when we had so many you know messages coming in saying, uh, you know, I was in such a dark place, I didn't know what was happening, my surgery got cancelled, but being able to have this tether, this communication system with my providers was just a lifesaver and so wow. so that really 
what drives me a lot just as a clinician so so that and that makes it very gratifying and I think the team at force feels that way too because we all we have a slack channel um, and so we get all the patient feedback coming in and it's just you know constant you know stream of of love letters and of course there are a few people that don't like it and and absolutely that's that's fine but um, it is mostly very, very positive and very grateful. Um, and so so that's really, you know, kind of the keeps the mission alive, keeps the excitement alive, um, you know, because, you know, you know, it's not easy 12 years and, and you know, we're still in the trenches, but, um, but we know that we're doing good work and we know that we're impacting people's lives and people's well-being and people's happiness. Uh, and that's really helpful. Yeah, really mission driven. And I love that you're sharing all the success. And, you know, some of the people don't like it. That's fine. Share that too. Good to know. And and try to understand why, because maybe there is something we can do to make their experience better as well. But I think a lot of companies miss the opportunity to share all the success with their entire company that the sales team is having and and the success the customers are having, right? Because because our success is their success and vice versa. So sharing that is awesome. Yeah. And, you know, the people in the company, the engineers and the, the, you know, some of the marketing people may never speak to a customer. So understanding that and seeing those, um, you know, those MPS calls come in and, and those, you know, comments come in is so important for them too, um, because they may or may not, they, they're building the thing, right? And so seeing how people are actually benefiting, I think is very important across the whole organization. Well, 12 years in, you're still growing. What What's coming next uh, for FORCE? Um, well, we have always been a product-led growth company, so we are always looking to do the next fun and exciting, innovative thing. Um, and so we have an aggressive roadmap. We're looking to the future of healthcare. We look at the future of reimbursement. We look at the future of patient experience. We look at outside of healthcare, what is best practices for things like UI, UX, um, and, you know, things like chat GPT and sentiment analysis. And so we are always at the bleeding edge of what's going on out there, um, which is not always the case in healthcare. You have these big kind of slow moving incumbents that are, you know, uh, it's like a tanker ship that's hard to, to steer, but um, we're not that. And, and that's kind of a, a piece of who we are in our brand in the market is to be innovative and agile and um, bringing the next great thing to healthcare. Um, so that's, that's a really exciting piece of selling because, you know, selling never gets old when you keep selling the vision of the future. Um, we're not selling the same old stale thing. It's always, you know, this is what we have and it works and it's great and here's the data, but guess what's coming up? And people love that, you know. Um, so we still are talking to innovators in healthcare. We are still um, getting people to dream big and buy into the vision, but still have something stable that they can rely on and, um, and point to. Um, 
for their day to day. So I think that's really, you know, the thing that keeps it very, you know, fresh uh, and exciting. Um, so I don't know, but in terms of, is that answering your question, first of all? Yeah, yeah, you know, it's exciting. And then your sellers have to continue to grow as well, right? You have to continue, to, everybody's growing. Um, and, yeah. you know, it's interesting, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think in terms of growing the sales organization, it's um, it's getting a repeatable sales process down and being able to to transfer all of that knowledge as well as encouraging intellectual curiosity and resilience and um, the ability to kind of pivot your messaging if it's not resonating. So... Um, so I always think about a repeatable sales process with a big asterisk, you know, and, you know, it's not just following a recipe and you'll get the same result every time. It's, uh, you know, it's knowing, well, this, this recipe needs a little more salt and, and this one needs more time in the oven or whatever it is. So, um, so I think that's really where we are as a sales organization is, is and, and that a lot of that is part of training and getting the right people in, but also giving them the right inputs and the right guidance. Yeah. So as the CEO of a 12 year old company, you are still very involved in sales, but I can imagine that your role has changed as the company's matured. And, you know, I always say to CEOs, Hey, you will always have a role in sales if you are a successful CEO, but that role absolutely will change as the company matures. And I see you having kind of come full circle in a way, but yet you're not doing the wholesale process. You're not, uh, you know, being in the involved in the whole buyer journey. You've picked some specific places in the buyer journey where you can make the most impact at the beginning, where you can draw people to you because of your knowledge and your expertise and the way you can share the case studies and make introductions to others who are already using your product. So it sells itself. So you've got a really specific role there as well. And then I'm curious, what role do you play in maintaining and retaining, right? The customers, because you mentioned a lot about the, their success and staying with them. Um, and I'm sure that you have customer success people who onboard and care for and nurture them and and like you said expand there but what role do you play on that end of of the sale so um each of our customers has what we call an executive sponsor so it's myself or um, my co-founder who kind of is there with that account throughout um you know their life cycle um, and so we have quarterly executive business reviews um, where either one of us is on that executive business review. Um, and those usually happen with, you know, the key stakeholders, the key users, the buyer, the people that we were selling to in the beginning. Um, and so really kind of staying close to that account and just maintaining and retaining that visibility and 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 their comfort level of knowing that we're still here we're not going anywhere i mean you know salespeople will come and go um client success people will come and go but we the founders are you know we're here <laughs> um and so i think that gives people some level of um you know comfort 
Um, but having said that, you know, our client success team is just so incredible at listening and problem solving. And they know when something needs to come to myself or Mark, but for the most part, they are just really creating those champions. We have a clinical team that works closely with client success. They are so close to our clinical users of the platform that, um, really there's a very strong bond. And I think that's where a lot of the magic happens. A lot of the growth happens. Um, and a lot of the, you know, kind of trusted relationships are born out of. Um, and so it takes a village. I mean, you know, I have a role, Mark has a role, our client success team has a role, um, our marketing team obviously has a role. So it's, it's really a team sell at the end of the day. Um, and we like to bring in the relevant experts at any stage if we're late stage with a deal and they're having doubts about you know how what how much of a heavy lift is this going to be we'll bring in our implementations lead and he'll talk to them about this is what we expect this is how long it'll take here are the requirements um and that's coming from somebody who's done it over and over again and um so i think thinking that one person, even the founder, can carry sales on their shoulders is a mistake, um, especially, you know, I mean, I can only speak for our business, which is, as I said, enterprise healthcare sales. Um, um, and, and knowing when to pull on those different levers and when it's appropriate timing, um, you know, we can kind of architect that. But, um, you know, I think it's really important to, to understand that everybody does have a role in that process. Absolutely. I love that. Everybody does have a role and it sounds like everyone in your company is focused on the success of the customer. And that's what truly drives everything. You've got a mission and that mission will make those customers highly successful because they can get better patient outcomes in the end, right? That's what everybody wants. I, I really applaud you for building that culture in your company that everyone really cares about the customer's success. So a lot of CEOs out there that are listening and all of those who support those CEOs, you know, they've built these big sales organizations and some of them are not getting the results that they want. What words of advice would you have for those CEOs in going back to a founder-led sale with the support systems that you've built in for the customer, right? Or changing up the organization, even though, you know, it seems like, oh my gosh, it took us so long to build this or whatever the thoughts might be. You've come a long way in those 12 years of, you know, designing it and redesigning it and changing it. And it's working really well. So what words of advice do you have for CEOs who are thinking, okay, I've got to change something about my sales organization and the way that we focus on our customer. What do I do first? Well, I think the first thing that a CEO needs to know, and I'm saying this because it wasn't clear to me when I started the company, is that CEOs will always be involved in sales. You know, there's no stepping away from that. Um, whether it's, you know, designing the process or, you know, um, creating the talking points or tweaking the, you know, go-to-market strategy. I think there's no, 
in my mind, there's no universe in which a CEO does not have their hands on the steering wheel for sales. Um, and I think the other piece of advice is just to go back to the why and make sure that that why is reinforced and embedded in your company's culture. Um, because people who understand why they're doing what they do and the impact that their products, you know, whatever it is, is having on people um, are easier to engage and will really be more successful. I mean, that's been my experience. And so I think always bringing it back to the why, the mission of the company. Um, and then the third thing I would say is you have to you have to execute against your promises because if you lose integrity, you'll lose your market. Um, and so you have to understand how to execute against the promise you're making to your clients um, because it's, it's hard enough to get good customers and then, you know, it's a shame to lose them down the line. So I think... Um, <laughs> really <laughs> nailing that execution piece um, is key for sales. And, and, you know, it's not just one, you know, done, done, dust a contract signed off you go. Um, right. There has to be that execution piece as well to back it up. Wow, Bronwyn, thank you so much for sharing so openly about your company and your success and some of your challenges. It's really been a pleasure learning more about how sales works at force. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure talking about it. <laughs> if you enjoyed the show, please like, and subscribe, and we'll see you next week.